Hey, this is Terry, and welcome to another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Today's chat is with Vancouver-based Arcana Studio owner and founder Sean O'Reilly, who's going to share the story of how he went from a college teacher to writing his own comic book in his spare time and then traveling around to conventions to try to get it sold, and then the story of how that spiraled into owning his own comic book publishing company, which now has over 300 titles and 5,000 unique characters, which then spiraled into developing a 3D feature film and television production studio, which is currently employing over 50 people. So he's gonna share everything he went through to get where he is today, the mindset he uses to make difficult, risky business decisions that lead to bigger things, and how he's been able to become successful based purely upon his own original IPs. Plus, he'll reveal the pipeline he's built at Arcana, their hiring process, and the specific skill set they look for in new animators. Now, before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the awesome team at startastudio.com. Start a Studio is a new online school focused on the business side of animation. They have both free and paid courses, an online community, and downloads to help you succeed in your animation career and build your own cool, creative, and viable animation studio. All the content is written and presented by experienced animator and studio founder, John Draper. And you can use the unique discount code AIP as an animation industry podcast in the checkout to save 20% on their popular pro studio startup course. So whether you're looking to up your freelance game or plan and launch your own animation company, check out startastudio.com. Now let's jump into the chat. Hi, Sean. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the chat. It's uh, wonderful to see how the other side of the country is doing with the mountains in the background in BC. That's awesome. I'm stuck in Toronto here. <laughs> how are you? Doing good. I mean, as well as one can do during a global pandemic, we're keeping our head up and doing the best we can. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I want to talk to you about that because you're a studio owner. So, you know, you've been you've been hit in a very interesting way by the pandemic versus some of the animators I talked to, you know, their lives have changed, but yours has changed in a very different way. Um, I, I, I want to try to change up the intro a little bit by just, you know, asking, have you learned anything new in the past month from, I don't know, from what you're doing or the pandemic or just searching Google or watching yeah. anything? For, for me, uh, I'll tell you the last 30 days, my focus has been on virtual productions. Um, we are known as a, um, animation studio first and foremost um started as a comic book publisher but right now i'm really so what where we're at now uh my vision is to have this as the arcana ranch uh it's kind of like skywalker ranch and uh it's a director's retreat so the plan is we have to zoning and we've applied for zoning uh we would build a sound stage here and from farm to fork we would be able to do an entire uh, live action film here Wow. Uh, all the equipment, ADR, um, viewing room, obviously the soundstage, set deck, hair, makeup, you name it. Uh, our productions here. So I, then I'll be doing about, my hope is I'm doing one animated feature a year where I write, direct, produce, and I'll be doing three live action ones. And they'll be smaller budgets. They will be co-viewing. So parents and, and kids can watch them together, kind of family friendly. And they will be heavily um, visual effects. And I, I don't, I'm not meaning like visual effects like in the Hobbit type thing. I'm meaning visual effects in, the, in fact like um, uh, maybe a Harry and the Hendersons or E.T. So we're going to have, you know, physical 
props and, and actual costumes and everything uh, combined with uh, the last 30 days, the knowledge has been studying the volume. Have you, do you know the volume? The volume? I'm not sure what that means. Uh, so it is the, the colloquial term they use to, for uh, the Mandalorian. So the Mandalorian, even though it looks like they visited all those distant places, same as Star Wars, they actually filmed the entire thing in a soundstage. And it's a 270 degree, uh, 5,000 square foot LED wall. So when you look around, it looks like you're on set. And so the way the lights hit the Mandalorian's shiny armor and everything, all the lights are actually there. And so you can go anywhere you want. So from a production point of view, um, it's all about the, the pixel pitch and how much are each one of these panels and how they work with like the Unreal Engine and even like the parallax on how it works because the entire screens are based on the camera. Anyway, it's all this nerdy craziness I've been looking at and it's really cool. Disney Plus released the making of The Mandalorian and they have a full episode on the volume. So you're studying that. I want to basically what you just described is like every film student, animation student, story, novel, like everybody's dream is to like just make their own movies forever and have all the resources and studio space and everything. That's what you're describing, basically. More or less. Uh, <laughs> the one thing I kind of learned, I've learned in animation, uh, if you can't control the process, you can't control the outcome. Yeah. And so once you start looking at renting a soundstage for 30 days, it is so expensive. It's crazy. So um, just make your own with the same budget. Make your you own. Have, to, have oh, that forever. So, <laughs> so you want to become basically a content powerhouse. You want to put out three feature films, an animated film every single year. Is that is that the plan? Oh uh, yeah, uh, powerhouse sounds an interesting word. I'll take it. Why not? But yeah, that's <laughs> what would you call uh, it? I don't know. Uh, uh, prolific. Prolific. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so you know, it, it's things are going pretty good, and we just want to keep doing it. So as we're as I'm studying in the last 30 days, it's all about what, you know, productions will look like, I don't know, during COVID, after COVID. Is there an after COVID? I don't, no one even knows anymore. COVID right? forever now at this point. Somewhat. I, and I do believe like things, I don't know if things will ever go back 100%. I don't think Probably not. I mean, it, you know, if things go back to normal and then you hear about another flu or something coming around, you know, it's easy to shut down everything for a week then we have a process in place and just you know simple things like uh shaking hands it yeah. now looks really awkward and dirty to shake someone's hand <laughs> and like six months ago it's almost insulting if you don't shake the person's hand right even if you have a cold you still go to work and stuff now i don't know like i don't think we'll ever be shaking hands kind of again <laughs> like i don't know if we're going back like even in two years like our generation that lived through it and everything will be like yeah no no <laughs> so I, I want to under so you, you know you just t talked about the volume and uh, these insane goals that you have that I think are absolutely amazing where does this all come from like like how come your studio is able to do this and and you're leading this like what what is that dream you're pursuing um gee I don't know I, I think it's just kind of one foot in front of the other um very first to even publish a comic book was a radical idea 17 years ago whenever I did Cade number one um, went to Comic-Con in 2002, uh, long before Iron Man. And once Iron Man kind of came, Comic-Con changed forever, I thought. Um, but yeah, I went to Comic-Con, uh, quite a, it was big, but nothing like now. And then artists, I always wanted to do a, a comic book, which is why I went down there. And then, um, 
Yeah, it was just so small. I met, I met this guy named Ramses Melendez, who was awesome. He drew the first issue. Then I had to ask people, how do you print? And so now I'm asking people, so when you build a soundstage, like how many square pounds, how many pounds do you want on each truss? Uh, it's just like, it's the amount of, I don't know, knowledge and, and Google helps. And uh, just yeah. asking experts and asking other people, that's kind of been the process really. Gosh, I mean, another, because, you know, I have a past career in business. Another thing that comes to mind is like, how are, if you want to talk about this, how are you able to invest so much without, you know, you haven't produced any feature films yet in, in live action. Um, how are you able to plan and, you know, make this successful? Like what is, what is your plan to, to make this go? Two things for me. Um, so the animation, uh, we've done eight animated features that we own outright. Um, Arcana owns the copyright. We do our sales in-house. Hi, Jarena. Um, And so we've been in control of our own destiny for, well, since the beginning, really, since, you know, even before the movies and stuff. In 2002, we did our own licensing. And by we, I mean me. And then on the first movie, I licensed Pixies. Um, and now we have in-house support to do that. And so it, the hardest part, to be honest, was securing the land. Yeah. Um, now, and now this has not even been announced anywhere. Um, so this is breaking You're in. hearing it on the animation industry podcast first. <laughs> here it is. And so, uh, securing the land out here in the Fraser Valley regional district, uh, that was, that took me about two years. Wow. Uh, um, I actually had the, the financing in place to purchase something um, a while ago and then finding the right location. I wanted over 10 acres. I wanted in a very unique area called the electoral area C in the FVRD because it had a very unique zoning that would actually allow for a soundstage in this environment. Uh, we don't have the zoning yet, but um, yeah, we've applied and, and working with everyone and making sure everyone's happy. Amazing. So I, I do want to get into, you know, the future films you've produced and what's coming next and all that stuff. You, can you share a little bit about your journey, where you came from? Because you have a PhD in management info services and technology, which seems not on the same career path as what you're <laughs> currently doing. So I, I just want to understand, like, your background and, and what you, you mentioned the comic book thing, but what really propelled you into this world away from what you had studied? Sure, a fish that I don't actually have my doctoral yet, my doctorate yet. Uh, I finished my fourth chapter of my dissertation. I did all my coursework. And so chapter four is when you've kind of done all your prelim. And then five is your actual study. Then you do your analysis. So to be honest, uh, I, I kind of stopped my dissertation in about 2016. Yeah. I couldn't be writing screenplays while keeping up with the dissertation. And, and I kind of... I still want to go and I don't even know if I'm, I'll have to up because you, you, anyway, it's a different you have one. so many years I, before you can. That's yeah. exactly right. So I don't know if all my coursework is still valid and all the links you do, all your references, they have, you know, 60% have to be in the last three years, if I recall the things. So I'll have to update those. But anyway, uh, I started, I was a lifelong comic book fan. Um, I actually bought my first comic book at a Husky. Do you guys have Huskies? The back gas station? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny, so I, I tell like, you know, an American friend, they're like, what's a husky? I don't, what is this thing? A dog. That's exactly. Comic books. And so uh, we, I bought my first comic book. It was uh, Secret Wars issue four, where Hulk is like supporting a mountain on his back. And I just loved it. Like, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And I kept going back to the husky and, and they, they got 
comics in, but they're not really known for comics. Um, and then I found a comic book store, lo and behold. And so that was honestly age seven, I think I was. And then I was a very avid comic collector, probably till age 18. And like, I'm one of the weirdo diehards where I had, you know, acid free backboards and I had the, everything's bagged and indexed. And then I had on my computer, I would have all the issues I have. And then I started getting into like, what uh, quality are they? Now so I know I have, where you're getting your financing from. You've got a, right. <laughs> yeah. well, and I have a giant size X-Men number one, that's a 9.7 condition. So last time right. I looked, I think that's 15 grand or something. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so that's kind of how I got into comic books. And then, you know, I never even considered it as a job or career or anything. I went to uh, Simon Fraser University, SFU, uh, degree in biology and physics. I dropped the physics in year two or three, did get my degree in biology, did the second degree at UBC, did my master's, and then I started my doctorate and then started kind of dabbling in comic books. And so I wrote one comic book, the one I mentioned with Ramsey's. It was $3,500 to print, and I got back 3500 bucks. Exactly. And I was like, yes, and I broke even. That's awesome. So I did the second one, broke even-ish. And then we did another one called Ant, and Ant kind of blew up. And, it, you know, and by blew up, I think we netted. We, we made maybe 10 grand. And Ooh, that was from, after- From where? Like you're selling at Comic-Con or- yeah, all over the place. Yeah, so there's a, there's a company called Diamond Comics, and they are one of three comic distributors. And so they do what's called the direct market. And so that's your comic book shop, your local comic book store. And so Ant did really well in its first printing. We printed 5,000, sold out. And so like back then it was a $3 comic. And then Diamond gave us, I think a buck, what was it, a buck 20. I think to give you 40 cents. So, you know, we, we grossed probably six grand off Ant number one, first printing. Cost was 3500 make a little bit of money. Then we did a second printing, third printing, fourth printing, went to all the conventions. Uh, we had one variant cover on eBay that sold for $100 US. Um, and it was weird because I had like 100 in my basement. So I'm in Florida at a convention and our, the cover went crazy. I called my wife. I'm like, okay, we got like 100 in the basement. Don't flood the market, but make sure we always have two on eBay. Like we need to do this. Oh and uh, so that, and it was weird because like after... Like it was a hot comic if you Google it back in 2004. Uh, and after all that success and all that online buzz, we made 10 grand, which I'm not complaining about. Yeah. But if that's really the holy grail home run, I was kind of like, eh, publishing's a tough gig. Um, and so back then I started thinking, well, we kind of need movies and comics to film became very popular from, I don't know, 2006 to 2010. Um, is weird because like I actually was working with Platinum Studios, and so uh, we published Cowboys and Aliens, and so I, I I do love it. I think it was awesome. I got to meet John Favreau and I met Harrison Ford, and it was super cool. But I think that was one of the movies people look to that kind of broke the comic to the comic to film cycle. It didn't break it, but they, they reanalyzed. Right. Scott Pilgrim was one. I think they made it for eighty million. Um, you know, people are like, uh, it's not always comic to film. It seemed like the, the marker was Marvel to film. Yeah. And every time Marvel makes a movie from one of their comic books, seems to be a home run. DC, they released the Joker, absolutely brilliant. They've had some ones that didn't get the return they wanted. 
So, so how did you go from, you know, this 10 grand is great, but not a career to going full fledged into comic books? Uh, yeah. So, um, we, I kept doing the comic books and then I kept teaching. And so I was a full-time regular high school teacher. Uh, so I didn't lose my day job, if you will. And then the comics were always on the side. And like I said, they churned. It just, it, I never really made money doing it. We did build a library. So Arcana has 300 graphic novels in the library. Um, so we did build a lot of content. And then on Cowboys Aliens, I moved to LA 2007 to 2010. It was about two and a half years. And uh, the model then was to just take your intellectual property, you package it uh, with an agent or a manager or by yourself, and then you run around town, Hollywood, you run around town and just try and pitch it and get someone to believe in it and go from there. And we did that a few times. So we optioned uh, Amnesia to Sony uh, and it's good, but it's not even, it's not the type of thing. It's hard to run a company off options because it's completely out of your control. Yeah. Can't control the process, can't control the outcome. Uh, it's completely out of your control. And, and it's not, unless it gets acquired, it's not like a salary. Like you can't make enough money to kind of live off of it. And so I ran around, you know, LA, Hollywood or whatever, pitching and then I came back home to Vancouver in 2010 with my family and then 2012 we set up uh, Kagagi which is an animated TV series and so that was the first time uh, I was entrusted to do animation and so it was APTN who's amazing I assume you know them um, I just wanted to know how did you how did that happen because you were known as like a teacher and comic book guy yeah, Jay, I don't know. They had to make a leap of faith. To be honest, actually, it's kind of weird thinking about this. That, that is actually, would, that's hard. So I did a comic book um, with uh, an amazing guy named Jay Ogic. Uh, he's, uh, he created Kagagi, which is the Algonquin word for Raven. I think we published it in 2009. I met him at like a Toronto comic convention. And uh, he's gone on, like he's doing massive stuff with Robert Munch and he's kind of his own art entity. It's quite amazing. And uh, him and I teamed up based on his graphic novel. We went to APTN, pitched it. And I had done short films um, in animation, kind of dabbling. Uh, not me, like I would work with a group and we're trying to make a, a little short film based on a comic to pitch something. Yeah. But yeah, APTN, I guess, made a big, I don't know, trust with Jay and I. Jay built um, a recording studio from scratch. Like, actually built it, um, soundproofed it, did everything. And so that was kind of the thing that started everything. Yeah, or just FYI, the APTN is the Aboriginal People Television Network in, in Canada here. Yeah. Um, so, so that was your introduction to, in, introduction, introduction to animation. What was, what was going through, like, I'm assuming you're not a high school teacher anymore, are you? Uh, still teaching. Oh, you still, okay. So you, so you run an, uh, <laughs> like a full-fledged feature film producing animation company and you're teaching high school at the same time. So, yeah. so tell me about kind of the mentality and the switch that you had to go through to, to, to make that work and start your own studio while still working yeah. on the side. 
Yeah, it was kind of crazy because, like, uh, you know, it was a smaller budget. I actually was told by two or three different studios I couldn't do it. They're like, no way, you can't do it at that budget. Impossible, impossible. So, so you, you had this project and you went, in, you went and talked to some studios to get some info? Is that, is that what well, happened? Well, to, to be brutally honest, uh, I didn't, you know, was it um, necessity is the mother of invention? I didn't really want to build an animation studio back then. Um, and so I, I brought this project to other companies uh, so that they could actually do the production work and just say, Hey, look, can you guys do this? And, and I won't name them, but uh, there's two or three that are like, you can't do it. We can't do this. You need three times more money before we can even consider this. Yeah. Uh, and for me, you know, it was, it was, the budget was over a million dollars. So I'm just like, Holy crow. That's unbelievable amount of money. I've never heard of such a thing. And they're just like, forget about it. You can't do it. And so we did it. We did, some of it was done in my uh, basement at our home. Some of it was done. Uh, it was it was probably not ideal situation, but we did it. Jay was awesome. He was always, you know, producing with me, and, and he got all his recording done. And, and even for him, because we had to deliver in English and Algonquin. Yeah. And it's not like you know, <laughs> Algonquin's not the easiest language to find people that are completely fluent in it so so you you know there's two of you how did you and studios were saying no how did you go about and get animators and voice actors and everything like was this all just kind of figuring it out on your own yeah and honestly it sounds weird like the only ones we could really afford to hire back then were like straight out of school type thing. yeah so like all those um we hired a lot from the art institute which okay. is uh, now LaSalle college in vancouver and so, yeah, we went to all the, the, you know, they have those, I don't know, graduation shows. And so we hired a lot of, you know. Industry day. We gave a lot of people their first job, which is kind of, that's what we did. And so now it's cool because like they've, that's, that's been a while. And so now, you know, there's two of them that are running full studios. Uh, one's the amazing animation director, I think it's Sony. Uh, it's kind of crazy. That's pretty insane. So tell me, tell me how you got to today after that point. You know, you finished uh, the first animation project yeah. and then you and just, then, you just loved it. I loved it. I did like it. It was actually really good. And then it was kind of like, you know, you learn and it's like, wow, I wouldn't do that again. This is challenging. We do need some senior leadership people. Like you can't have all juniors. And um, yeah, so that was, uh, we handed them Pixies. Everything went well. And then I pitched uh, Pixies. So we had it in Kagagi, everything went well. And then I pitched Pixies to Vertical Entertainment. And so they really liked it. It was based on the book. It won a, a Mom's Choice Award. And uh, so I took the screenplay, uh, which I wrote, and then the, the book, and then a short film, pitched it to Vertical, and they said, yeah, we're in. And so they give a pre-license for the U.S. And so there's about 180 countries worldwide. And so your goal is like a little game of risk, try and license your movie to every country out there. Um, but with that U.S. pre-sale, uh, we we're able to start building the financial structure. And so same, similar thing on Kagagi, but we hired, you know, we had the bigger staff, we had more experienced people. Um, and yeah, we got that one out and it was, uh, my lowest point was probably February, 2015. I was under a lot of stress and I actually went to the hospital. Don't know what happened. My eyes kind of did this 
crazy thing. And uh, they were worried, like, it wasn't a heart attack. I had this thing, and I was under a tremendous amount of stress. And I think at my lowest, I think we are about $350,000 down, um, behind on mortgages, owed my mom money, credit cards are maxed. Oh, my and- gosh. Tell me about that, because that's something that you don't, you don't, people don't really talk about. No, I, that's, uh, it was uh, by far the most challenging. And so I, don't, I think I was just overstressed. And I, I literally remember my wife was beside me and I was in the, the hospital and I kind of lied in bed and then I was still cognizant of everything, but I just, my eyes wouldn't focus. I don't know what happened. And then the nurse is like, okay, can you stand up? And I'm like, uh, nope. And I just leaned back down and uh, it was tough. And so that was, uh, we handed the movie in, um, when was that? April, I think. And so then how it works is when you pre-license or pre-sell an uh, movie vertical, so they pay you on delivery. So until then, it's basically like a, it's a, it's a promise. It's an empty check type thing. Uh, so you can go to your bank and borrow against it and do that type of stuff. But I finally handed them the movie. It's finished. Got the MG, they call it the minimum guarantee. And that took a lot of pressure off. Yeah, I can imagine. And then, yeah, that summer, then we start doing licenses. And so I kind of, you know, by, I would say by maybe quarter four of 2015, yeah. I had broken even yet again. Amazing. <laughs> so wait, wait, what's going through your mind when you, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, you're 350K in debt, you're halfway through a project, you're in the hospital. Like what, what keeps you going forward and Here. saying, you know, this is like, let's, Cause, cause like, I feel like that's a give up point for a lot of people. It could have been, it's just kind of fear. Actually, it was weird. I, I was watching Dragon's Den. Uh, I got asked to go on the show years ago. I said, no, thank you. Um, but cause they don't like movies in general. I've seen the show enough. And anyway, uh, Kevin O'Leary said uh, something kind of cool. He was like, uh, I want that entrepreneur that's looked into the abyss. They've seen absolute darkness and they pulled themselves out. And I think I watched that episode in 2015 or 16. I literally got like goosebumps. I was like, I've been there, Kevin. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) And uh, it was kind of weird because like, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's not like you even, I didn't contemplate giving up, but it could have broke me. Like you just kind of keep moving forward. It's like, I don't know. It's like, Dr. Shivago or something pushing forward in the wind, like your body's freezing, the wind's blowing against you. And all you know what to do is just one step at a time and, yeah, and just damn. get, yeah, it was kind of weird. This is but, um, emotional for me. My God, I'm going backwards in time. Well, let's not, let's <laughs> not make you focus too much on that, yeah. that moment. <laughs> so, so can you tell me about a cloud nine experience then throughout this process of, of working on films as, as the There's opposite? Yeah. Uh, the most recent were on the cover of Animation Magazine this month. Uh, for me, it felt kind of cool because, like, I've done eight movies and they're all very indie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everyone's like, well, where do I find it? And they're on Crave TV. They're on, um, you know, in, in the U.S., Vertical has got Pixies on Teletoon in Canada. So, I mean, they're out there. And, and I think what the animation magazine cloud nine was for me, it was kind of like, Oh cool. We got some eyeballs. Cause right now my goal is to kind of have an animated feature film that gets eyeballs. Yeah. And so heroes of the golden mask is by far the one I think will be the most viewed. Um, and so that was the one on animation magazine. And th- this is written and directed by you as well. Yeah. So actually the writers uh, it's um, Brian and Jim and I am directing and uh, producing. 
Um, so I ended up writing a bunch. I don't know if we'll get a credit. If I will, I don't even care. Uh, my goal is to get this thing at the highest level possible. And um, yeah, we'll be delivering that quarter one, 2021. So uh, you've made eight films at this point. And like, from my perspective, animation is becoming super competitive. You know, studios are popping up every day, but also uh, streaming services like Amazon Prime or whatever are like just, you know, taking in pitches all the time. How, how, what is, what is your strategy when you develop something like Heroes of the Golden Mask? Like you said, you want eyeballs, but like, are you trying to hit on a certain demographic? Are you trying to tell like a, a new type of story? Pixies, you know, you, you found a successful book already and turned that into a Like what is, what is the strategy now that you've been through the abyss and you've come up and you're like, okay, I've learned a lot. Now I want to, to make things work and get eyeballs. Yeah, so I mean, it used to be, I mean, six months ago, eyeballs meant theatrical release. Um, last year, Wonder Park came out, um, kind of an independent animated feature. It had Paramount and Nickelodeon behind it, so it's not completely independent. Um, I think for now in this new shift since COVID, um, there's a great movie released a couple weeks ago called Animal Crackers. Uh, it's on Netflix. And so that one, it struggled, I think, for a few years to get a U.S. distribution. And Netflix picked it up uh, as an acquisition. And uh, yeah, I mean, it created a lot of buzz. Like everyone, have you heard of it? Do you know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're talking about. And, that's, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, everyone's heard of this one. And I don't know what that magic is because, you know, Willow Bees did fantastic. That was released, I think, the next big one. Maybe it's the marketing dollars. I'm not totally sure. And sometimes these things go viral. Um, and it that seems was like, like every so animation magazine picked it up at the same time from my perspective. That's how, I, that's how I heard of it. And like Facebook groups and like everybody was talking about it. Right. So at the beginning, before Pixies, my goal was to try and make Hoodwinked. Um, independent animated feature, grossed a hundred million at the box office. And forget crazy. the money. It's just everyone knows Hoodwinked. It was yeah. like everyone knew it. And so that was kind of my goal. And after the eighth film, um, uh, there's a funny little saying, Dr. Phil, I keep quoting people now. Dr. Phil says, keep doing what you do. You keep getting what you get. Yeah. And uh, it was like, after eight films, do I really think one of these are going to go viral? It's kind of like, I I've skipped this rope eight times. We're building a good business. Everyone's employed. Everything's going well. Uh, but I don't think one of these are going to blow up. So then the strategy is basically bigger budgets, higher quality. Uh, we've, we are up to 65 employees now. Uh, oh, all, wow. all full time. Yeah. That's and they're insane. all working from home. And, and you're not even full time. You're still teaching. No. So, I, I, so right now I'm at, at the transition. I have to decide what's happening September. And oh, wow. I was kind of on the fence anyway. And now all of a sudden, like I'm a little, like I have four kids and, and uh, as of today, a school teacher, and I'm still kind of freaked out for what COVID's going to look like once school's fully open. Right. Um, and when do schools open in Ontario? They're earlier, I think. Uh, I don't actually, I don't have kids, so I don't actually know, but it's coming right. soon. <laughs> it's coming soon. And so Vancouver just announced, British Columbia just announced that schools are not all opening on September 4th or whenever it is. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of the states, like Georgia opened in August, and um, but I, I, that's kind of my fear. So anyway, uh, yeah, we're up to 65 people. Uh, I was in Bordeaux, France for Cartoon Movie. Have you heard of Cartoon Movie? I know, Cartoon Movie. Oh, okay. For anyone that's you know interested in animation, I have to say, if you're wanting to pitch your animated movie, 
cartoon movie is the best thing I've ever been to. It's so it's a conference. It's a conference, but it's completely upside down from anything I've ever experienced. And I've been to everything. Hong Kong Film Mart, MIPCOM, MIPTV, MIP Cancun, uh, Cannes Film Festival, Berlin Ali, AFM. Like, I've been to every one. Um, this one is held right on the lake. Absolutely gorgeous. Bordeaux, France. And then the creators on stage. So the person pitching their movie is on stage and everyone in the audience is either a buyer, broadcaster, you have Disney, you have Netflix, you have everyone in the audience hearing one pitch and oh, wow. it's very efficient. Yeah. And so I've been a judge the last two years. And so the winner gets like a monetary prize, whoever does the best pitch. And so I fill out these little cards and everything. And this year I was the keynote speaker. Uh, wow. was, it was kind of cool. So they, they flew me to Bordeaux. My wife and I did a uh, wine tour on the Monday. This must be March 4th. And then the conference is on the 5th, 6th, 7th. And then like 8 o'clock at night on the Monday, they're like, hey, can you be the keynote speaker? You mean like tomorrow? Yeah, at noon. I got like 16 hours. And I was planning on sleeping tonight. So I did it. I think it went okay. And then that's right when COVID started taking its, its claws in. Day one of the conference, there I met people from, and they're all over the planet, like Denmark and everything. This one guy's like, it's going to be a cold day in hell before I stop shaking someone's hand. I shook his hand. And that's kind of some of the attitudes on Tuesday. Tuesday starts changing. Wednesday, uh, everyone's kind of doing the elbow thing. Thursday, everyone's a complete germish phobe. They're handing over this. They won't do anything like this. I just have never. And then, so I came home. I was supposed to go to London. Uh, for a, a London Vancouver animation exchange and I actually ended up canceling and that was on the Saturday and then one week later I think it was Friday the 13th Trudeau basically is like okay airlines are shutting down yeah and so I get back to Vancouver four days before all the airlines shut down five days and then all of a sudden now we have employees starting we had one person I won't mention his name on the floor like he completely went crazy he's like you know there's women and children dying this is not right he, he like i'm like Shh, it's okay calm down and he started freaking people out and then so we got people working from home and then there was bottlenecks in our vpn well one we had to set up a vpn we never had one yeah and so we have tech crew working hard and then we're, we have people bringing computers uh to other people's homes and uh then we had bottlenecks in our vpn and then we had to upgrade our internet to tell us um, and then now we have staggered start times. Um, we have like a seven o'clock start crew, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10, 11, 12. And so we found it's whenever they open or save a file, it just, if everyone opens the file at nine o'clock, yeah. it crashes everything. And so, yeah, anyway, we, we've been figuring out ways around it. All of our numbers, unfortunately, are down, our quotas. Uh, everything's taking longer. Everything's costing more money. Everything's slower, but we're doing it. Now, look, the quality looks great. Yeah. So, well, I, uh, one thing I don't think we even clarified is you're doing 3D animation. You're not. You're not doing 2D animation. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And so I just find I call it CGI. CGI. Well, because there's 3D stereoscopic, right, with the Fair. glasses and everything. 
And so, so you know, I just try and always make that distinction because we're not, it won't be a 3D SpectraVision type thing. So, so is there like a niche that you've kind of cornered with these eight movies and the one that you're working on? You said, you know, it's, it's uh, I think you used the term co Co-viewing. Co-viewing. I haven't actually heard that before. <laughs> but yeah, the kids and their parents can view it at the same time. So yeah, it's got some adult way. humor and some kids humor. Exactly. And, and I, I definitely haven't cornered this. I think I've found a way to survive in this. Um, co-viewing is, is one of the great ones. Another one's four quadrant. Uh, the appeals to the uh, female, male, uh, old, young. Uh, it's kind of a movie that, you know, everyone can enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and it's weird because like I get pitched or asked a lot about like adult animation um, which I love, I think is great. I love Rick and Morty. I think it's absolutely brilliant. But I, I find that would be challenging. I think, unless you have like a major American um, broadcaster distributor on board that's really committing. Yeah. Because one thing I've found, so we license our own uh, material, and so if something gets too dark, like Howard Lovecraft, um, the foreign market doesn't. It seems like what they like is. Uh, furry, friendly, fuzzy, um, funny. Uh, it's kind of, you almost want to pander. It sounds kind of weird, but like those pro minions minions is like on paper. You're kind of like, yeah, that one should do well. Like internationally, how it does domestically don't know. And something like, um, you know, the, the, uh, was Arctic dogs came out last year. Right. Yeah. Uh, didn't do well in the, the U S theatrical. Uh, I bet you it actually did quite well uh, in foreign markets. I do think it would do quite, I don't know their numbers or anything, but that seems like a project that would tick all those boxes as well. That's so, okay. So you, you're developing cute, family friendly, fun movies. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. So, so I guess let's talk about like how you've built the studio. So you said 65 people are now working for you, which is, which is insane. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've got pretty much every department out of that, I assume. What, how do you, how do you bring somebody like, are you still involved in like the hiring process for like new animators or whatnot in Vancouver? So how, what is it that you look for in somebody that you want to bring on this team? Because it sounds like you're building something really special with this ranch and specifically feature films. You don't, you don't do commercial projects or shorts or TV. No, we haven't done shorts, uh, series. We are in, uh, co-production with gasolina on a series called my brother the monster okay. and so that got a big um funding from imcine which is kind of the mexican cmf and so it's an official canadian mexican co-production so that series we're doing but i've never done shorts or commercials uh we have yet to do a work for hire i'm not opposed to it so work for hire is like uh bardell um, awesome animation studio, also in Vancouver. I don't know what their numbers are at. At one point, I think they're at 700 people. Uh, I think they're at four or 500 now. I don't even know. But like, so what will happen is Rick and Morty is actually um, done in Vancouver. Uh, the animation, how much I don't know, but definitely some of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that that's a work for hire. So Bardell doesn't own Rick and Morty. They they work on it and they get paid to work on it. And so from a entrepreneur business point of view it's probably a easier um model yeah most most studios here in canada are set up set up that way especially in toronto i think it's actually really impressive and and amazing that you develop your own ips that's something that is also very rare from what i've from what i've heard not many many studios kind of do the work for hire and then on the side develop a couple ips that they have 
Um, but you're just doing only that. And it goes back to the Dr. Phil quote, I guess, keep doing yeah. what you're doing and you keep getting what you're getting. Um, so, but, but talking about hiring, like what kind of person do you want to bring on the team? Cause it sounds like maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of opportunity to maybe influence the production once you're working on this team, because it is something you're developing too. So our production manager, Brady Keeler is uh, instrumental in uh, the hiring process. And it's not so it's weird because like I don't I don't really do the hiring per se. I mean, obviously, I'm the one that gives the final approval. But like, uh, for example, I think we have about 18 people in our animation department. And so our animation director, Skylar Zur, uh, he we will make sure we have a balance of, you know, senior, mid, junior animators. And so we kind of want that mix. And so Right now we're doing good. Our numbers are a little light uh, per week, our quotas. Um, but what we, what we would probably want next would either be a mid or a senior. Um, we probably, as of today, have like enough juniors. So we would want someone that has a credit or two for their name. We've hired a lot of people from the Willoughby's. Um, I think Braun is, is opening up Braun Digital now. And so we were able to luckily take in um, quite a few of those people and they've been great. Um, so yeah, we're looking for, it, it always depends. Like I, it's not like there's any one thing. Right. Demo reel. I, the, the one thing I've learned from Skylar and Sean and Lenny and everyone and Carlos, they, your demo reel is critical. And yeah. it's weird because they, and, it, and I tell them like, I try and convince them, but it's hard not to. And so the first thing everyone asks is, can I see your demo reel? And so in the first 10 seconds, you should have your most popular project, I think, and the best work you did on it. So if you did work on Willoughby's and you, you did your best shot on Willoughby's, that should probably start your demo reel. Uh, even if you're more proud of, and another thing they say, and again, it's do whatever you want, but this is just my, what I hear. Um, don't include stuff from your student reel. I think what a lot of people do, they've been in the industry three to five years. They have some amazing stuff and they worked really hard on that student reel and they're very proud of it. Uh, but they're using studio rigs and characters and assets. And it looks like, you know, it looks like it came from the one. Um, so if you don't have anything else to add, yes, use your student demo reel. You created in college, university, wherever you went to school. But if not, try and get it out quickly. And I've heard this repeatedly. They kind of chuckle. Yeah. So only 18 people out of 65 are actually animators. Yeah. That's like a quarter of the studio. What is, what is yeah. the rest? Uh, we have lighting, rendering, compositing. Oh, okay. Rigging, I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, matte painting. Uh, we have, I think, six uh, office staff. Like Brady is one of the six. Um, and the numbers always change. So right now... We see we will be hiring more animators. We're waiting on two more voices. So the entire movie is recorded. We can't hit full throttle. I'm hoping, I was actually hoping of getting the second last voice. What day is today? Wednesday? Yeah. I was hoping. <laughs> um, we haven't even announced it yet. I don't even know. If, I think the contract's done. But um, I was hoping I'm recording him uh, this week. And so the other one, uh, we're going to record either uh, Monday or Tuesday next week. So once we get all the voices 100% locked, then we'll probably hire another, I don't know, seven to 10. Oh, and wow. it's just a numbers game. So our quota 
Boy, I'm telling everything. Tell right? me everything. I'm I'm, t- I'm gonna start a competing studio called Terry Canna Studios. I love Toronto. it. Uh, our quota for animation right now is 10 seconds a week. Okay. Um, and so that is, you know, when you talk to people, I've now talked to enough people. It's aggressive, but it's still theatrical. There's a lot of studios that <laughs> there's one studio in Vancouver. Their quota is 40 seconds a week, and it makes for some rough television. Um, 20 seconds is like, oh, you're killing me. Movies, uh, we're aiming for 10. To be brutally honest, we're hitting about five. Okay. Uh, how much is COVID? Um, don't know. So all of a sudden now, I'm now like looking at our, you know, so if we've based everything on a budget of 10 seconds and time on 10 seconds, but we're doing five, doesn't take a mathematician to know you're twice as expensive and twice as long. Uh, so th- right now, we, that's why we'll probably be hiring I would say at the most another dozen just to ensure we hit all of our animation deadlines. That's kind of to bring in a dozen people on top of 65. That's a big impact. Tell me about the kind of culture that you're, you're building at the studio. You know, like you, on one hand, you're teaching little kids every single day. I'm sure that's a very different atmosphere. And on the other hand, you've got professional animators and riggers and lighters and stuff. So what, what is the studio culture you're kind of aiming to get at? Uh, it's funny because uh, so I, there's a couple times I talk to Brady and I'm like, oh man, I got to crush the teacher in me because like it's kind of my nature to, you know, supportive and uh, and how can I help you? I notice you're not hitting your quota. Is there anything I can do to help you? Uh, and I don't think that would be the approach at some other animation studios. Uh, it'll be kind of like, get out of here. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the, the atmosphere, um, the one thing I've had to do over the last five, so Gary has been with the company from the beginning, uh, 10 years. I think Gary Ewan has been employed with us, which is awesome. Um, one of the things I, I found challenging a couple of years ago uh, was retention. Hmm. Um, we had this other studio pick up a project, a work for hire. And so the hard part about doing a work for hire They'll get the project from Netflix. It's a series. And they got the contract. They have the money. And now they got to find all the people. So one of the studios came into my studio. And uh, they just basically said, what's Sean paying you? And every, right across the board, they're like, we'll pay you 20% more, 20% more, 20% more. And it was like a flu that went through our studio. Uh, we lost, I think, six people in about a week. Oh, wow. And I knew who it was. And I was like, (laughs) makes my job so difficult. So one of the things we changed, uh, going back to the culture, uh, we have the highest extended medical and dental uh, provided by Blue Cross in the country. Um, Blue Cross does not give higher medical, extended medical, extended dental than we've offered. So that was one thing. We also offer uh, paid vacation. I, I, I'm sure they they exist. I don't know of another animation studio that does that. Um, Cause most of them, like once you start learning that a lot of people work three to six month contracts for a career. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they get a one year contract, a two year contract's almost unheard of. Um, but they're always contract to contract to contract to contract. And that's how they start thinking. And so with Gary, we built it around him and we also do PTOs, which are paid time off. Uh, so I, I can't remember our exact handbook, but Brady basically keeps track of paid time off and people can bank them. They can add them to their vacation and stuff. So you want to hire people full time 
period. Like you're hired, you're hired. That's it. it you, the only way you leave is if you're fired or quit, I guess. <laughs> More or less, that is the perfect ideal. So we have a core group. So Gary's the longest, 10 years. We have a core group of about probably 15 people that have been with me five years or more. And so, you know, right. I don't, I mean, I would love to always sustain for, and again, like Bardell is at 700 Titmouse, I think said a thousand or something. I don't even know what they're at. Um, so for us, 65, it's a lot for me in the big scheme of animation studios. It's still quite small. Uh, so I would love to maintain 65 and do it. I think the difference with us, why we don't, you know, contract so much is because we're not based on a work for hire contract. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're very organically growing. Um, I have eight movies we've done by the time I hit 16 movies, I should be able to maintain two to three times more employees. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm, I'm curious. So you have developed expertise in a process in 3d animation or CGI. Why have you chosen live action instead of going to a different type of animation, which could, you know, have a lot of synergy. Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, for me, I like the live action cause I do think this is, it's, not easier, but it's quicker. Um, just like for us to create one character. Uh, it, it takes three different departments, about five weeks, six weeks, maybe even more really. Uh, Cause you have to create the geometry. Then you have to do the surfacing. Then you have to have a hair pass. Then you have to have a rigging pass. So it's got to touch all these different people. It takes a while and it costs, you know, fair bit of money. And so when you're, when I'm doing a screenplay and writing it, I'm very cognizant of how many characters are in the movie. And so you really, and Pixar, it's one of the 22 rules of Pixar storytelling. Uh, and I love it because creatively they're like, well, Pixar believes have less characters because you get more time with them and you get more moments with them. Wearing the producer hat, it also costs less. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of a nice double-edged sword that works both ways. Um, and so, yeah, the 2D one, I've, I've partnered with Gasolina, my brother, the monster, which will be 2D. Uh, they're using Toon Boom Harmony. And so I don't want to build the pipeline and find a whole new group of people. Um, live action, the way things are going with, you know, real-time rendering, Unreal, uh, the volume where you have the LED monitors behind you. I think it'll actually be an easier transition with our existing team to go into live action than to go into 2D. 2D is a completely different beast, different software, different pipeline, different animators, different artists. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the goal. And we have a, um, an amazing, uh, our head of lighting, uh, Toby Gaines. Like he, he worked on Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man Homecoming, and he's doing the lighting on masks. And so he's very, he, he actually goes, I'm probably even more comfortable in live action than I am in animation. And he's a plus on both. So having someone like that where I can pull him for a day or a couple days and just help me set up a shot or something in live action, that's kind of where my head head's at. You are very business minded, which which maybe leads me to one of my last questions, which is, you know, if if I'm starting up a studio in maybe in Toronto, maybe in Vancouver, wherever, what is kind of the mentality that you've had that has led you to approach problems with a successful outcome? Because it, I mean, you went through all these hardships, but also it sounds like you're going full steam ahead right now and seeing, and seeing some success. So what is, what is that kind of mentality that's led you to successfully problem solve? And you honestly just almost answered it. For me, it's problem solving. It really <laughs> yeah. is. Every day I am dealt with, I don't even know, one to 20 problems. Some are small, some are big. 
I think just being an entrepreneur, whether you're an animation studio or not, I mean, being underfunded, not having money, that's a problem. How do you solve it? Uh, we, we've done mortgages with BDC, Business Development Canada. Uh, it's how I got our very first studio. I didn't have a studio until 2000, I can't remember, 16? Um, even during Pixies, we basically kind of either worked from my home. I had this very small place we rented. It was terrible. Uh, we had Mattel visit us and they, and they were very underwhelmed, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's just problem solving. I think that goes for any entrepreneur. Like, you know, I'm behind schedule. Well, what do you do? Uh, I need better, uh, more experienced staff that are more technical. What do I do? You can train them. You can find other ones. You can replace them. You can do whatever you need to do. Uh, I think the hardest one is, um, it probably is honestly problem solving. It's just, it's always a problem solve. How, how have you handled um, having a family throughout all this too? Because you, been, you packed up and moved to Florida, you moved back here, you're traveling around the world, you, you were in debt, you mortgaged your house, you now are building a ranch. Yeah, my wife is a saint. I, and there are times, like, I think this thing, I don't know, it's kind of weird we started with that. That wasn't really my plug or anything. Uh, there are times I literally ask her, have I gone too far? Like, is this crazy? I think I'm nuts. I, I do that probably every week or two. I kind of have like a minor panic attack. And I'm like, this makes sense, right? And asked Brady the same thing. I asked him last week. I'm like, am I crazy? Like this, this should work. Right. And, uh, yeah, my family's been amazing. Wife has been super supportive. She's my business partner. Um, so she does like payroll insurance, uh, legal stuff that we don't give to our lawyers. Um, but she's kind of the, the boring behind the work, you know, yeah. function of it. I usually am the tip of the spear for the creative. Um, Brady has been absolutely instrumental. He, he's come in and taken a lot of the, uh, production work. Um, and we just, we, like I said, Jarena does our sales, Lauren, um, she's a head of development. She's relatively a new hire, I think three, four months ago. And it's weird. Cause when you hire new people in COVID, I think we have maybe 15 to 20 on staff I've never met before. Oh yeah. And yeah, so I yeah. go to our own website and look on the people and I'm like, I couldn't even like by face, I don't know who they are. Um, there's a guy named Jesus. He's awesome. He's the head of our visual effects. Uh, I've seen his picture once and it's weird because we talk, I don't know, every day, every second day. And, uh, well, I don't know if I could recognize him. Tell him to turn on that camera. When you right. We got to do more, more zooming. So, so tell me, you know, you just shared kind of the story of how everything came to be, what you're working on, these big dreams. What is that thing that's that underlying fuel that makes you excited to wake up and work on this stuff? Hmm. I think I, I do like, I like creation. I like creating things I like creating stories, I like creating characters. I like building. Um, you know, if I, if I, and it's weird. Cause like, I think had I not been a producer producing building animation, I would need to do something. I think there's some part of me that just, I want to create things. I want to like, if I, I suck at carving, but if ever I somehow in an earlier life became a carver, I would be that mad obsessive comp- carver that would have like 50 different carvings on my front lawn type thing oh no (laughs) Uh, yeah it's just and that's why even i like developing you know this property i like i like producing movies i like producing tv series i just like watching things come to life it's cool to have an idea and have it tangible oh and i love 3d printing 
Like that's kind of my new jam. We take these characters that we've made and all of a sudden you can print them. You can hold like a toy statue you thing. You get and into stop motion then. You can 3D print all your characters. Oh boy, my wife will probably kill you. But yes, I think that would work out amazing. <laughs> nice. Well, well, is there anything else you, you want to share as we kind of wrap up or anything we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? No, oh, this has been awesome. I, it's weird because I've never, you're, I think the second, third podcast I've done in the last month or two, and I've actually never done a podcast before. Um, so I, this is super fun. I actually thoroughly enjoy it. My fear is, I guess, one of these things I say are going to come back to bite me in the ass or something. I don't think so. Because I'm very honest and I'm just very free flowing. No, if uh, anything, you've made me want to come and work there on this ranch and get full benefits. And <laughs> hey, we should. And <laughs> Let's do it, 100%. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, the, the, here's the Golden Mask. Uh, we have Christopher Plummer that just got announced in Animation Magazine as one of the voices. Ron Perlman's another voice. We have an amazing cast we'll be announcing soon. Uh, we also did a short film we released at Virtual Comic Con uh, called Miskatonic. And so it's uh, when Howard Lovecraft, young HP Lovecraft, goes to Miskatonic to learn about the dark arts, uh, where Hogwarts meets Harvard. Nice. Uh, the other <laughs> short film one is uh, Ultra Duck. Yes, and yes. so we just did a short film with Ultra Duck. And so right now I'm, it's weird because like during COVID, I don't want to necessarily pitch things because I'm worried it won't always be the best foot forward. You'll have an executive at Netflix, like, you know, looking at someone's material, their kids running around in the background, they're, ah, it wasn't that good. As opposed to like getting secured time with them and putting your best foot forward. So I have this weird internal debate. Do I go out now? Do I wait? Well, but UltraDoc is another one that looks A+. Plus. Nice. You can yes, try it now and see what happens and then take it from there, yes. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the chat, Sean. It's been a really interesting journey from from your perspective and thanks for being so candid I, i've learned a lot about you know what your story and what you're doing over there and i think it's really cool awesome well thank you for your time thank you everything and i'd love to do this again thank you yeah and if you're listening you can uh follow sean and arcana by going to their website or twitter at arcana studio and i'll include those links in the description of this podcast and that's all for now so thanks so much for listening okay bye